You're listening to the Game Tree Dobbiz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by Brendan Sinclair, Marie D'Alessandri, Danielle Partis, Jeffrey Russo. And this, as I say every year, is my favourite episode of the year because this is our Games of the Year show where we get to take off our business hats and discuss games, like as the things that we have played. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a nice chance to actually kind of indulge because we cover these, you know, the products, the business behind them, and that is all absolutely fascinating. But every now and then, as our Slack chat history proves, we do like to talk about the games. Um, it's been a solid year for games this year. As we kind of discussed in our previous episode, a lot of uh, impressive releases come out. We all have our own personal favourites. Over the course of the next week, you're going to be seeing, or no, actually it was already started. You will have, you will be seeing on the site, each member of the team will write up a Games of the Year piece. So our favourite game, why we like it, what it meant to us to play it. Uh, and we're going to kind of elaborate on that and a lot of honourable mentions uh, here today. As mentioned, lots of big games come out this year, so I, I have a fairly shrewd idea of which ones are going to come up, but I think we should probably start with the big one going on recent team conversations. Vampire Survivors, who's into this? I think we all are. I think yeah, the we whole all team are. by the sounds of it. I uh, think yeah. it's like this is the Vampire Survivor of the Year podcast rather than anything else, really. <laughs> okay, right, well that's the next half hour sorted. Vampire... <laughs> Marie, you're uh, very much leading this charge as you've already oh. published your piece on um, Vampire Survivors, not to throw you into the, uh, <laughs> into the limelight okay. straight away. But um, what is it about this game that you love and why do we need to be using more garlic? <laughs> well, because it's the best weapon uh, and I will not take questions at this time. Uh, but to reply to the first question, uh, I think like... I mean, there's there's a lot of lots of stuff to to love about Vampire Survivors, uh, and I kept going back to this game all year. And like like as I touch upon on the on the piece, on my game of the year piece, which I think will be live by the time this podcast podcast comes out. Uh, like uh, my my year was a bit weird in terms of what games to play, and I just kept coming back to Vampire Survivors. Really, uh, I think initially I completely misjudged <laughs> that game, and I want to formally apologise to uh, <laughs> the developer Luca Galante because I think that's how you pronounce his name. My apology, if that's not how you pronounce it, in which case I also apologise for that. Uh, but yes, I want to apologise for the thoughts I had about this game because I think I really, really judged the book by its cover, and it took me way too long to appreciate the work that went into this game and like the level of polish and just quality it has. Uh, though because my expectations were low, maybe that's why I also, like, it was such a delight to play for me. Uh, it, it has such, like, hidden depth, and it's so satisfying to play and figure it all out, and it still always remains super entertaining, and it's never, like, added to my mental load and stuff like that. And, like, I, I think at the beginning, I got a bit annoyed at it, being like, oh, so the only thing there is to it is don't get killed. How difficult can that be? And then I realized that don't get killed is actually a really cool premise if you have the right like um, systems built around it, uh, which it does. <laughs> it very much does. And I think there's a good amount of thinking and strategizing uh, in this game to make it to the end and to survive. And it's just super satisfying and addictive, really. Like the gameplay loop is just top notch. And I just kept going back to it. And uh, I think I do have to mention the Steam Deck part of this as well, which is it's just the perfect Steam Deck game. Uh, I'm sure it runs great on mobile as well. I've only just started playing on mobile because it just came out. So it's difficult to compare, but I'm, I'm assuming what I liked about playing it on the Steam Deck is the same thing that probably is nice on mobile, which is like the ability for me to 
be doing something else as well as playing Vampire Survivors, which I know is a debate we've had in the team already about how I consider Vampire <laughs> Survivors the, the perfect background gaming game uh, for certain uh, stuff, at least, uh, which mainly for me meant watching like uh, D&D stuff on TV. Um, but I know maybe that's not quite the case if you watch something that's a bit more involved. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that sums it up. Really, it's just a really good game. Uh, and yeah, I've put a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot of hours into it. And it's so satisfying. And it's just really good. I think you nail it with not judging a book by his cover because I did the exact same thing. Like I, I, I heard about this game kind of earlier this year when it came out. And I, you know, a couple of podcasts I, I listened to, like games industry people who do podcasts, and they were talking about like vampire survivors and how cool the core gameplay loop is. And I remember looking it up and like, obviously not judging the book by the cover in terms of graphics because like you know there are plenty of games that have lower quality graphics that are still incredibly good to play. But looking at it and watching videos and like, okay, I kind of get this. Yeah, I, I get the gist. It's probably not my thing. Like, at a glance, like, this is not the sort of thing I usually play. But people kept talking about it throughout the year, and it came out on mobile for free uh, about a week or so ago. And I thought, I'll download it, I'll give it a go, so I can at least I can at least understand what it is. Honestly, it's killing me not to reach for my phone and play it now. Because this recording a podcast is probably one of the things that you could do in the background while playing Vampire Survivors. Like, I'm I'm awful at these sort of games, but I managed a whole 12 minutes last night. 12 minutes of Survivor, thank you. Like, and it's just, it's, it's so satisfying. The moments where you can move your character just through like that narrow gap between two skeletons or something. Like, the, it's one of those games that doesn't really explain itself particularly well, but the more you play, the more you understand the system so I understood that, oh, hang on, I need to collect those blue things in order to level up and therefore get more weapons. And then, like, choosing which weapons you stack up. So, like, I love getting to the point where I've got the magic wand with two projectiles, the fire wand, which fires three projectiles in a random direction, and then increasing that damage. The both whips, so you've got horizontal... It means that basically nothing can come with you without a high chance of it dying, which helps me not die a lot and um, it's yeah it's fantastic i absolutely understand why people like it and i i wish i'd tried it sooner yeah so i i downloaded the android version uh when it came out and it kind of like became my oh this will be my game of the year um overnight because uh i i guess i'm like a big fan of twin stick shooters um, like Geometry Wars and, and stuff like that. And this is just a, uh, a roguelike simplification on, on that formula. So it's a single stick shooter because you just, you know, twiddle your guy around the screen with one stick and then it automatically fires whatever weapons you have at a certain rate. And some of those weapons are directed by you. Some of them go everywhere. But the thing that I love about it is sort of the thing that I loved about Geometry Wars in that there's all these different kinds of um, enemies on the screen. But in Geometry Wars, all but one enemy type, uh, you were basically indirectly controlling their movement. Uh, it wasn't they, they might be going in loops to get towards you. They might be uh, dodging out of the way of your fire. But like you, you could, it was your actions that were determining where the enemies were going to wind up. And you could use that to sort of 
do like a sheepdog thing and corral them where you wanted them to be or uh, indirectly control them in such a way that you were opening up a gap between them uh, to, to escape a tight situation. In Vampire Survivors, it, it has that same feel. The, the, the movement of the enemies is uh, less complex, I'll say. Most of them, it's just a matter of how quickly they close in on you. Um, but it still has, there, there are so many on screen eventually that it, it becomes an issue of where you move around in the little pocket of space that you, that you have in order to thin the wall of the encroaching enemies just enough that you can either weave your way through there and not take damage or just plow through the mob and take some damage, but have it be like a thin enough wall of the mob that's left that you can, you know, escape with with your life and recover on the other end. And it's it's really rewarding, like James was saying about just to, you know, you, you spot a little gap between two skeletons and then you move in that direction in just such a way that, you know, you can squeeze through right as the gap closes. And like that is... That is super rewarding. And then like the, the roguelite element of it reminds me a lot of Rogue Legacy, which was a, like a sort of a procedural Metroidvania. Um, and it, it reminds me of that mostly just because as you play through the game, each, each run that you do, you earn gold. And then you spend that gold to... There's a number of increases on your, your basic stats that you can get, or you might spend it to unlock another character that has a different starting weapon that you like better, things like that. And it layers on a whole bunch of uh, secrets and and sort of uh, tasks to strive for, things that you know you can do if you are, you know, persistent enough in this. Like right, right, right off the bat, it might kind of be, uh, well, that's an incredibly daunting task. It wants me to you know, survive the whole half hour round and have like the difficulty modifier cranked through the roof at the same time. And the first time you play it, you know, you might last five minutes or something and feel like, wow, I don't, that, that hit a point there where there were just so many enemies. I don't see how I could ever possibly get through that. But if you keep playing, you unlock the the better buffs, you, you understand the game a bit better. And then that kind of stuff becomes child's play because you know you have you've boosted your character so much and you understand how all the weapons work a little bit better and and it's just kind of like it 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 yields to the player over time uh i find some some rogue like roguelite games to be uh, a little too discouraging sometimes when when like you hit a wall and you're just like yeah, I don't see how I will ever get past this. And you keep at it for a little while and you are no closer to getting past it. Because sometimes it really does just rely so much on like, okay, well, you you got a good random assortment of goodies this time. Or maybe it's just like, wow, this is beyond your skill level. Um, but but with Vampire Survivors, I found that the uh, the, the the boosts that it doles out to you over time, they really make the difference so that you you understand, um, I may suck at this right now, but 
if I keep at it a little bit, the game will yield to me. And that is, it's it's sort of a double-edged sword, I find, with games a lot. Like, on the one hand, yeah, it keeps me playing, and I know I'm making some progress. Maybe I, I feel less accomplished about that progress in the longer run, but it's still it's still fun right now. It's a good game. Yeah, I think it remains rewarding, like, throughout. Like, even, I think I'm about, like, 35 hours in. My partner has played over 70 hours of it, and I never got bored, ever. And, like, for a roguelite, I think, like, that's really difficult. I think very few manage, I mean, very few, maybe that's not true, I don't know, uh, in my experience, let's say, uh, that I, I sometimes reach a point, even with the best of them, like Hades, for instance, where I'm just like, okay, I think I'm done there. And... I've never reached that point with Vampire Survivors. Like, even in its replayability, it remains, like, excellent throughout. And there's always something to chase and always an objective that you want to reach or, like, something where you're like, I can do that again, but I can do it better and stuff like that. And it's just, like, very satisfying, like, throughout the entire thing. And I never never get, never got bored of it, really. Nice. Uh, we could probably spend... I get the sense that we could probably spend another half an hour talking about Vampire Survivors, but Indeed. in the interest of getting more games covered, Marie, did you have any honourable mentions you wanted to bring up? Um, yes, yeah, so as much, as much as I ended up writing about Vampire Survivors as my game of the year, there were many other games that uh, were actually strong contenders this year for me. Uh, most of them not games that released this year, actually, but the other one that did release this year is obviously God of War Ragnarok, which was my obvious game of the year, uh, like, until the last minute, I thought that's the game I was going to write about. I even started writing a version of my Game of the Year piece uh, after I only played, like, maybe two hours of God of War Ragnarok because I was like, yeah, that's it. Uh, nothing can actually ever beat this for me. But it turns out, well, two reasons. Like, I haven't quite finished God of War Ragnarok, so I felt a bit bad about writing about it having not finished it. And also, I do have actually a couple of issues with it. So that's why Vampire Survivors actually uh, beat it in the end. But... Um, it's as close as perfection as it's ever going to get for my personal taste in the AAA space, really. Uh, like, just even from the first few seconds of the game, the way the men, men the way the menu led to the game uh, in literally, like, the first few seconds had me overexcited about how good the whole thing was going to be because it's just... Even that was super well uh, thought through. Uh, and then the intro, the first couple of hours, is yes, probably yes. one of the strongest intro of any game I've ever played. Uh, I think the only other intro in AAA that I can think of that has that same same like impact in terms of like setting the scene and stuff probably is the original Last of Us. But other mm-hmm. than that, I can't think of anything that's as strong as that, or what is that caters to my taste as as strongly as that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The, the thing is, like, I don't know what I can say about God of War Ragnarok that hasn't already been said by by all the people who reviewed it. Um, but it's just. Yeah, if I if I could only play one AAA game for the rest of my life, I'd happily choose that almost without any hesitation. Um, it's just yeah, the the perf- performances are absolutely incredible, and I think um, for anyone even remotely interested in like mythology and stuff like that, there's some characterizations in there that are just so amazing, and I just can't get over good like how good the actors are at any given point like literally everyone the cast is just incredible and as someone who's also spent hundreds of hours in Assassin's Creed Valhalla which is a deeply flawed game uh it's just like 
I was <laughs> just like playing God of War Ragnarok, and I was like, oh, so that's what I wanted to play when I played Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Is what what I felt really like. That's a bit of a side note, but really because I, I like that love-hate relationship with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but they both touch upon like similar mythology aspects and narrative aspects that I really, really like. And you play God of War Ragnarok and you're like, ah, yeah, so Assassin's Creed Valhalla is shit, actually. Okay, fine, I get it now. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I do love you, but still, like, yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm not going to go on Assassin's Creed tangents because we know how that ends stream. But, um, yes, yeah. we do. <laughs> uh, God of War Ragnarok. It's pretty perfect. Uh, definitely some issues in places, like, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, yeah, that was a very, very close contender for me, among others as well. If I may, I'm going to interject with a few that I've been playing. Um, so I'm, I'm going to rattle through these as quick as possible because I, I'm confident we've got a lot of games to discuss. But I do obviously want to kind of note to Deathloop. Deathloop, I got earlier this year. So I got a PS5 for Christmas, and Deathloop was like the first game I bought for it. Um, the PS5 came with Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. That's an incredible game. I absolutely adore it. But Deathloop was the first game I bought. I love it. Big Dishonored fan, big Arcane fan. I really like what they were trying to uh, what they were trying to do with it. Um, Marie and Danielle, I was inflicting daily reports on them, basically like every single morning, coming on Slack and like messaging the two of them. Right, this is where I've done. This is what I did. What I've been up to. This is what I've worked out. So I think if I do this and this, and you two were brilliant at not spoiling whether or not I was right, um, which was fantastic. My own, I, I, I feel I. When I was playing it, I thought that was going to be my game of the year. But the ending, or at least the kind of the, the, the final loop that you go through for, kind of fell flat for me, which kind of took away from the whole game in that the whole game was like set up. The way the game presents itself, and certainly the way the game was marketed, was very kind of, you've got to solve this murder mystery puzzle. How do you kill all seven visionaries in one loop? I thought, oh wow, I've got to really think about where... I, and then ultimately, by the end, you're following a very designed set of events to make sure that right you have to go to this this area in the morning this area in the afternoon this area in the evening and you kill them in pretty much the same order each time that for me kind of undermined it a bit brief mention for the mario kart 8 booster pack obviously dlc cannot contend as a game of the year but I'm loving the courses so far, and who the hell needs a Mario Kart 9 when we're getting even more courses next year? Um, the game that was really close for me as Game of the Year was Pokemon Legends Arceus. I Honestly, it was, it was yesterday, yesterday when we were talking about my actual choice, that I decided, no, you know what, Pokemon is very close second. I loved this game. I didn't grow up with a Game Boy. I actually played the entirety of Pokemon Red through the transfer pack on the N64 and a copy of Pokemon Stadium because I didn't have a Game Boy. But I, and I was really into Pokemon like from that first generation. But because I had to wait until I could get Pokemon Stadium and a transfer pack and Pokemon Red, 
to play the actual game. The majority of my experience of the franchise was the TV series, the you know the animated cartoon, and the world of that series is not the world of the games. The world of that series is it takes them days, weeks to go between towns. There are Pokemon everywhere, in every grass, every tree, under every rock. There are random little side quests and you know, adventures that they have each week. And I know that that's the nature of a t- you know, an animated TV series format. So you, know, the, you wouldn't be able to make a great series out of a direct adaptation of um, <coughs> the you know, Pokemon Red and Blue. But like the, the fantasy that that show sells you, sells you never quite comes across in any of the games. The games are great, but they're not quite what the TV show is selling. Arceus is the closest it's come because you do feel like you're in that world, that Pokemon are around you, that they're just going about their business, that you are exploring this world rather than being funneled down very linear routes. Now, I know that obviously they've expanded on that with Violet and Scarlet. I haven't played Violet and Scarlet yet, but even then, like Violet and Scarlet, from what I see and from what I hear, is still very much geared towards the whole you've got eight gyms to go and beat and lots of trainer battles and the emphasis is still on combat. Pokemon Legends Arceus, as much as there is the combat and as much as there is a kind of a story funneling you through, the majority of it is just about exploring the area and catching Pokemon. Like, the emphasis is on catching rather than battling. Like, the fact that it's all framed through, you know, completing the first ever Pokedex and you're researching them. So it's not just about, right, catch one and you're done. All other generations of Pokemon, you catch one Pokemon and you're done. That's it. Pokedex entry complete. The fact this is right, you need to catch loads, defeat loads, see them use certain moves, evolve them, catch them at night, catch them without without them seeing you. Like, it really gets you to think about how you're catching them. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. And the fact that it actually lets go of your hand. The last time Pokemon tried, tried to do something different other than the beat the eight gym leaders format, um, it was Pokemon Sun and Moon where you had to complete four, you had to complete trials, the trials of each island. And the trials would be, you need to find four places in this jungle maze. Um, for I think it was like you were gathering ingredients for a mushroom soup or something. And it would be like, you found one and the person would turn up, you know, the leader would turn up and be like, hey, you found one, you've got three to go. And then you find another one. Hey, you found one, you've got two to go. It's like, I know, I can count. This just leaves you be. It just lets you loose in the wild with the Pokemon and lets you play how you want. And kind of similar to you, like Marie with Vampire Survivors, like I, this is one I've just kept coming back to. Generally speaking, I'm so desperate to try and play as many games as possible to try and keep up with what people are talking about that if, Generally speaking, if I have not finished a game within a month or two, I am never going back to it. I think I am, but let's be honest, I'm not. I went back to Pokemon Arceus like a couple of a couple of nights ago, and I still want to play more. I am going to finish this at some point. It came very, very close. That was going to be my game of the year. But I have to, have to give it to Spider-Man Mars Morales. This game is superb. Now, I grant you I'm slightly biased because I'm a big Spider-Man fan, but it is just superb. It, it, it's better than the original Spider-Man PS4 game. The storyline is a lot more personal, much more so than the... Uh, yeah, the, the trouble with the, the 2018 Spider-Man, without spoiling it for anyone who foolishly has not played it yet, you know who the bad guy is going to be by the end because 
anyone who's even vaguely aware of Spider-Man lore knows the connection between this character and this villain. So it was you, you spent most of the game waiting for a reveal that we all knew was coming. This one, I had no idea who was, who was going to be the bad guy. It feels a lot more personal, a lot more connected to Miles. And what I was most impressed with was like that it feels... This clearly started as an expansion or DLC for the Spider-Man 2018 game. But it feels like such a great game in its own right. Miles feels different to Peter in terms of how he plays as a Spider-Man. And some of that is the fact that you've got additional abilities like the Venom Blast and all those. I love the fact that you've still got the majority of the moves you have or that Spider-Man had from the first game because what a lot of sequels tend to do is they find some contrived reason as to why you can't do anything that you could do in the previous game and you have to relearn those skills. This doesn't. This just gives you all the skills or you know all the basic moves you had already so you can instantly jump in and be as awesome as you were at the end of the previous game but then adds in like the new Venom abilities. But then it's really little details. It's things like when he's swinging along and he lets go of the web, he flails through the air because he's only been Spider-Man for six months. Peter had been Spider-Man for eight years in the previous game. So he's much more confident, much more assured, much more athletic. And Miles is still learning. And the idea of, of being this kind of this superhero that's still learning, a lot of the superhero games you play, you're playing the power fantasy of, hey, here's this fully fleshed, hey, you know, Batman Arkham... Asylum's Batman has been Batman for a long time, so he is full-blown Batman. This is a fledgling spider-person. Um, I, I, I could go on, and I shall in my written piece, but yeah, Miles Morales, absolutely superb. Loved it. Miles, like you said, Miles does feel different because he does have all those little gestures that shows you that he's still not quite as confident like you said the flailing I, I think even the way that um when you go into a run and then you jump or whatever you can see it's like it's a lot like looking at at a kid um playing sports versus someone older in college or like pro sports kind of thing you know and little things like that is um i i think visually also help like you know miles just so like okay he's learning you know he's a quote-unquote fledging superhero so yeah you know i i i agree um, I do wonder what that will look like in the sequel, though. Yeah, mm. if there's not co-op in that sequel, they have missed a trick. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it until it becomes true. Um, Jeffrey, what were your highlights this year? Um, so my b- before I mention my game of the year, um, I don't know if anyone's picked up on it, but uh, my for for me in gaming is just that um, I just look for. I guess what's interesting to me, and not not saying there aren't a lot of interesting games, it's just when I when I see like big AAA thing, my mind is isn't necessarily like mm, I guess. So mainly, I just look towards you know indie games to see what what they're doing because um, it can be argued that they're at the forefront of um, what's quote unquote innovative or um, just fresher ideas. So my game of the year is uh, the visual novel um, Validate. And the the reason is that the game, um, I was thinking about how I was going to say this, but the game is written, made, and it just plays like something that's just not concerned with um, checking off any boxes or um, just adhering to 
what's quote unquote safe because the thing is you're you're playing this game about dating uh, um people young people in their in their 20s and the cast is primarily you know black and brown folks and it's uh also very gay which is a very good thing and again i say that because it's also not concerned about um heteronormativity where that um the game just has people talk about you know their gender um how they express their sexuality just like normal people would it 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 it, it doesn't read it doesn't play like it's like an after school special which is yes that's kind of a knock to other games <laughs> because they're still trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and yeah, it just plays out where, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use one scenario, for example, you're this character and he's just trying to figure out himself. You know, he's a young person. That's something that we can all um, uh, relate to. And, you know, he's just thinking about his current job, uh, where he wants to go with his um, career in another field as, as he pivots towards that. And that's getting well, but also, he he deals with um you know just dating and he he's not sure what he wants of himself even as you're you're trying to flirt uh even like in real life you know when you say something and then you think something else he's like wait no why did i say that you know i'm embarrassing myself um that's not true i'm lying and the game tries to also help you um it, it's not so much about dates going well but you know you helping this character um just just be themselves you know and um i i think that one of the um most interesting scenarios is that you know you're you're playing this character as this um young man and there's even a point where um there's a lot of points actually where they just talk about his his sexuality and you know he's not sure well i'm not sure if i like guys and then the other character just straight up says it's like why does that matter we're, we're obviously talking right now. And, and just the way that's written, it doesn't feel contrived or it was put in a blender. It's like, oh, what's the nicest way of how we can do this, you know? And it's just very real. You know, even the language that they use, the game even tells you about, hey, this scenario you're about to go into is going to have mentioned about drugs or alcohol and things like that and, and, and sex. And even, even the way that the game presents that writing and the choices that you're making, it, it, you're just trying to help these characters just be real with themselves. But obviously, you know, as anyone can attest to, when you try to do that and that involves romance, it, it can be messy. And um, one scenario, you're you're trying to help um, Malik, there's his name. You're trying to help him not be, uh, the nicest way I can say this, you're literally trying to help him not be an asshole. But the thing is, in his character growth, he just is because he's at that point in his life where he's just dealing with a number of things and you end up hurting this person's feelings because right in the middle of when he's like noticing, he's like, wow, I'm falling to this old cycle that I have when, I, when I'm dating people where I do this. And then here's like, hey, you know, I got to go. But that comes across as, you know, you're like completely fridging this person. And it's like very real, just like in real life, it's like you can say one thing, it, it just come across another. And, and one of the routes is that you can try to amend that and just be nicer, but you literally make make the situation worse, just like in real life. And you have like the door slammed in your face or this person's crying. And as the scenarios go on, like the game also acknowledges, hey, this happened, but you're trying to be better and what have you. 
And um, yeah, I just think, you know, from from the point of a visual novel, I haven't played a lot, um, admittedly, nor a lot of um, dating visual novels um, as well. But I just appreciate that the writing, how the game plays itself out, it, it, it it's very real. It's very cognitive of like what what things are like for people, you know. Um, of course, you know, I can point to the fact like the cast is like um, they're, they're gender fluid. They're like trying to figure out their sexuality. Um, you know, they're, they're black and brown ones who have like, uh, experiences that a lot of people can relate to. And that it's weird to say that's kind of a new thing in games, but the way that they, um, you know, are, are tackling those things I think is, and not a lot of games have that, um, freedom to do what they do there there, there's even there's even a point um where characters uh get intimate and the conversation then isn't so much about that what what you as a player don't realize and that the team you know is trying to let you know is that despite that you know hey um this character, you know, even in life, you know, things don't go well. And this is what happens. And they don't, quote, unquote, go well. You just have another friend. You just realize, wow, I'm I'm still not, quote, unquote, a good person. Um, yeah, and, and, and it feels like when I play that game, the jokes are hilarious. They land. Um, all the funny scenarios happen. You could just say one wrong thing and a date can go back, which has happened to me. I don't know about you. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, just uh, just things like that, and it just it just feels really refreshing that it's so real. It feels like when I'm playing that game, it's as if I'm watching like some of my favorite current um, airing like sitcoms, like Southside, or or it's not airing anymore, or Insecure, because it's, it's you know just people being real and, and funny things just just happen, you know, and. Um, Again, I like to mention it's quite gay, and that's great. To see. <laughs> yes. Can this please be please be a pull quote of the podcast, please? Thank you. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm heteronormativity is such a joke. Like a character, even like characters make fun of that uh, too in a natural way. And now I'm sitting around thinking, like, yeah, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's my favorite game of the year, and um, it's going to have. Volume two with more characters and scenarios, so I'm looking forward to that definitely next year. Um, I think it's available on everything. I'm not sure. Um, uh, so yes, uh, Validate is my favorite game of the year. Um, as far as games, I like to draw attention to that other people might like. Um, I think Death Verse, Let It Die. Granted, I say this with uh, a a grain of salt because that might not be for everyone. That is very much a game that plays nothing like its predecessor. Um, Death vs. Let It Die is presented as a player versus player kind of game where every map, um, 16 players are dropped into it. And the whole point is that you survive until you're number one. So that's either... Um, defeating your opponents, making someone fall down, um, you know, a hole, what have you, surviving. So you're like dealing with that. And you also have to deal with like environmental threats, as well as hunters that may take you out. And 
it sounds stressful, but at times it's uh, really funny. Um, I think the most fun I had one time was that uh, I had someone stuck to the floor with adhesive with one like one of my weapon abilities, and then I just proceeded to drop kick them in the face, and I won the match. <laughs> and I was like number one, and so that was great. Uh, another time. I uh, destroyed the, the scaffolding uh, on a part of a building. And that was completely by accident. I just rolled the opposite direction and the person leapt forward and he missed me. And then he just fell into the water and I also won that way. So that's great. Um, but the game is also a free-to-play title. So there's a lot of things you can do to customize your characters. Uh, um, a lot of people love just getting different poses, costumes and stuff like that. That's really great. Um Another title I would recommend, this is a single player game, it's um, called Wolfstride. It's a uh, RPG. It's in black and white. It It's, um, if you like robots, um, RPGs, uh, this might be something you like where it presents this alter, alternate universe where giant robots exist. Uh, there's competitions with them and you're playing as this character who's trying to like pick up his life and he and his team are trying to be like the best um, mech fighter out there. Uh, the writing is really interesting. It's, um, I think the development team were, um, was two individuals well, who made the game. But, the, you know, it's clever writing. You see um, a colorful cast of characters from different backgrounds. Just um, a lot of interesting things. Um, a game, uh, another game that I really liked that came out, um, well, it didn't come out this year, but I think it was uh, two years ago prior, is called um, Evil Tonight. And it's a survival horror game. But the thing is, I don't do well with those games, but this game is um, very much designed like a Super Nintendo 2, 2D game. So it's presented as that. And you're playing as this detective where she's just trying to figure out this very weird case where she's like transported to this alternative universe in this very old school building, trying to figure out why is this ghost haunting things. And the story just gets dark and weird very fast and very weird things happen. And um, yeah, it's great. It's um, um, that. And, and also my last recommendation would be Jet Lancer. I think that came out last year, but you're playing as this um, female um, pilot where She's essentially just a mercenary for hire, but then things uh, happen and escalate where slowly but surely, like, she's, like, the best uh, pilot surviving everything from literally um, a whole battalion of um, fighter jets, giant robots, you name it, <laughs> a submarine, it, and music's great. Uh, the controls are... are um, controls are interesting because that game also has really great accessibility options. You can literally just have it turned off where damage does nothing to you. You can also change, um, I think, the sensitivity of the gyroscope of when you're controlling the um, the plane. You can also have, have it set where you don't um, crash into the water, so you never have to worry about um, unnecessary game overs and things like that. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's the end of my recommendations.
purely by mathematical statistics, <laughs> you should only have one choice for your game of the year. How uh -huh. much time have you put into Destiny 2 this year? You don't have to call this out in a public I forum, I do. I James. absolutely, I absolutely do. So I installed Destiny 2 at the <laughs> end of January. So there's been, give or take, about 10 months of, of Destiny 2 time this this time and I have just hit what's the number 570 hours which is <laughs> solid <laughs> 10 out of 10 which is is ridiculous but I've I was an early adopter of destiny I played the first one because I was really excited about it but I didn't really get how live games were supposed to work back then so I played it and then it was like, there's DLC coming in like six months. And I was like, I'm not waiting for that. And then I traded it in because I didn't get the concept of waiting for new content. Um, and I got back into it this year because they just released um, The Witch Queen, which is a big uh, new campaign DLC. And it is impossible to, to penetrate unless you've got somebody sort of guiding you around and on hand to kind of explain what things are to you. So I think the first 30 hours of my Destiny experience was me just sort of running around places and running up to objects and going, what's that? And having it explained to me. Um, so if you're trying to get into Destiny and you don't have any friends to play Destiny with, you've got absolutely no chance. But yeah, it completely absorbed me this year. Um, I could say a lot about it, but I'm going to save that for my written piece, which I suppose people can read, because there's a couple of other games that I put uh, considerably less than 500 hours of time into, but um, I think they deserve a little mention because I really enjoyed them. I just couldn't play them for 500 hours. Um, so the first game is Citizen Sleeper, and it's sort of like a TTRPG kind of beat where you are basically like a human consciousness put in like a robot body owned by a corporation so imagine if uh, like amazon started making exoskeletons and you could you know put your brain into it after you die it's kind of like that sort of dystopian beat and basically hmm. you <laughs> <laughs> you um who doesn't want to do this i know right it sounds great <laughs> Um, but in this in this universe, it's sort of like a way for people to to stay alive, and they've realised that that's actually kind of a bad idea, and they're getting exploited. <laughs> um, so you're a, a a robot human that has kind of escaped from that, and you end up on like an abandoned space station founded by other people that have kind of escaped this like corporate collapse, and you have to basically survive there. And over time, somebody from this corporation is out to kind of hunt you down and reclaim the parts that you have stolen from them, because that's how that works. Um, so the, the functionality is you start a day and you roll a bunch of dice, and then the dice rolls depend on how much you can do each day. And you can pick from sort of doing different jobs, whether that's like going through scrap in a scrapyard or working a bar shift and you assign a dice to each activity that you do so if you roll a six you can have a really successful shift or if you roll like a two it's a bad one and you don't get as much money and you can only have as many interactions per day as the dice rolls kind of allow so it's it's you know basically up to what you roll and uh, the people that you choose to speak to basically depends how you play through it um, and you can make decisions as you go along and as you meet people and there is 
uh, sort of narrative choices that you have to make of, of whether you know you spend the points looking for somebody's lost child or you go to work because you really need the money to eat at the end of the day kind of thing and it's it's quite grim um in a lot of ways but i really enjoyed it just because of the the narrative design and the characters um because the whole point of it is to escape this place and and get away from the people that are coming to kill you and essentially start a new life um but you can also choose which people you bring and which people you leave behind, essentially. And it gets really tough towards the end. But I I really enjoyed that. Um, it's a very good uh, narrative space romp, which I enjoy a lot. Um, another game that I played was Neon White, uh, which came out over the summer. And it's basically like an FPS speedrunning game um, where you have to kind of run around levels with different weapons and the object is to do the level and do all of the objectives in the level as fast as possible. And where this really excelled is that it, it, it's a, a, an absolute delight to play, but you can do a level and maybe it takes you like 30 or 40 seconds, which seems pretty fast. It's like, wow, I did that really fast. But then as you unlock more things and you come back to the levels later on, you can start to find shortcuts and ways to kind of hack through the level in a different way and you can end up doing like a 40 second level in about like five or six seconds which is really really dumb and the game itself is is so moorish to play because you're just jumping in to try and beat your own scores and just try and get a little bit faster with each thing and something that it has done that i haven't experienced for a long time is that everyone that i know that was playing neon white got hyper competitive about these scores so mm. at the end of every level you're looking at the steam leaderboard and there is like not point not not two seconds <laughs> in between like your run and somebody else's and you're like motherfucking you're back in that level trying to like beat them just for the points and it's it was super fun and it has this whole uh like, like story behind it as you progress through levels and you unlock more things to do and more skills etc and it was just it was a really fun month of people just really really going hard on neon white scores obsessively just trying to get points and i was getting texts from people like beat your score on like level two six or something like that and it was just it was a really good time and i had to put it up in my games of the year because of just how nice it felt to play and what it did to my friend circle for like a whole month um and as marie said earlier i've also been playing god of war ragnarok which is absolutely phenomenal and mm. I, I don't want to like say anything spoilery about it but like when you said the intro was was like one of the best intros ever like yeah. that particular thing that happens like 15 minutes in i was yeah. oh i was so mad <laughs> was so mad <laughs> but it, it sets up everything else and it's just it's lovely isn't it i, I feel so torn really because is. i want to be like oh what about this and this and this but it's all stuff that i want people to discover yeah i think that that's the joy of it like i mean the, the first one narratively was absolutely incredible mm. uh, and this one is as well and brings in uh, much more stuff as well. But it's, yeah, it's tough because like, I do want to talk about all the things, uh, but I do think everyone should be experiencing this game knowing very, very little about it. Um, I, I basically stopped reading anything about it or like watching anything about it uh, before the reviews and stuff. Uh, mm. Now I've started reading a bit because I'm so far in that I don't mind as well, but I really loved that I went into knowing barely anything because 
it's just a joy like story-wise I don't know stories in triple A's is a tough one and it's very easy to miss the mark and but not not God of War Ragnarok and it's just ah so good really is really is video games they're all right (laughs) sometimes sometimes (laughs) sometimes So, so I think I think Vampire Survivors uh, is is my game of the year. Um, but I talked about that earlier, and I'll write about it later. Um, but my honorable mentions, and I've, I've got a couple of them in mind. One of them is is Elden Ring, which I think this yes. might be the first time we mention that game, and we're yeah. like Damn, yeah. almost fifty minutes or something into the podcast, <laughs> just, which just is the game of the year. No biggie. <laughs> yeah, and most we, of us, I've, I've played it as well. I think. Yeah, so we're we're kind of delinquent in our duties there, I think, and not even mentioning it. Um, but no, it's 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 a really good game. It is a uh, really amazing Souls game, and it's from software, and it's frummiest. Um, yeah, but like, I don't I don't have anything particularly insightful uh, to say about it. And I, I actually, I've, I've only really been getting into it in the last month or two, um, putting any, any kind of significant time into it because uh, my gameplay habits at home are to, to play a handheld while the TV's on in the background uh, in the evening sometimes. And Elden Ring wasn't on Switch. So once I got the Logitech G Cloud, though, which uh, my coworkers, I'm sure, are sick of hearing about, <laughs> and you will be too, very, very shortly. Um, I was I was able to to stream it from the Series X to to this nice seven inch screen with controls right on there, and and it was just perfect. It was kind of the the ideal handheld experience for me. As it just it was glorious looking game ran perfectly smooth on you know like the local remote play uh option and and it's once i got that handheld it kind of like has opened up a world of triple a gaming for me that that i have basically missed out on in the last decade because i went straight from the vita uh to the switch because those are just those are the things that fit my fit the gaming shaped hole in my life and and what the uh what the g cloud has has done for me even though it's like it's a bit overpriced and it's not going to be for everyone for sure um but it it has kind of sold me on microsoft's whole um strategy of you know they want gaming to meet you where you are and in, in the way that you want it rather than saying hey we make a, a box that connects to your tv and this is where you're going to play this um and 
I don't, I don't know if the, you know, machines like the G cloud are, are really the, you know, uh, of financially viable opportunity just yet because you still have to pay for a nice screen and the nice controls and everything. And, and it kind of, it, it bumps the price up above that, that mass market level of a hundred bucks or less or, or whatever that, you know, kind of the, the streaming value proposition is supposed to enable for people. Um, but it's a really good experience and, and it's really, at first I thought I was going to like go completely down the rabbit hole, um, and, and just never come out by playing all these old games that I missed on Xbox one and PS4. And then I went to look through them and I, I'm like, Oh no, I actually didn't miss as many as, <laughs> as I thought. Like I sat out an entire generation of top line AAA and I'm looking back on it now saying like, Oh, I, I guess I want to play God of War. You should. There's that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to play that uh, uh, eventually. So El- Elden Ring has been um, fantastic. But the the other thing that was kind of like a, a contender for my game of the year, um, because these don't have to be released this year, is uh, Skies of Arcadia on the Dreamcast. And that was another thing that I've been playing on the G Cloud because uh, the Dreamcast is easily the best system ever. No no arguments uh, there. Not saying anything. I'm sure we're all in agreement on this very important point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it emulates stuff up to the Dreamcast just fine, uh, like perfectly if, if you get an Android emulator for, um, you know, PS2, Wii, GameCube. Some of those games will work great. Others not quite as great but like mostly the emulation that i'm interested in doing which is you know nes up through dreamcast um handles it perfectly and skies of arcadia i i have played through in drips and drabs gone back to it every few weeks over the course of the year and it's just it's just really good it, it, it came along at a time where uh, it's sort of early in the 3D graphics era, I guess, um, where the state of the art at the time had been Final Fantasy VII, which uh, narratively was was starting to get into some, you know, more nuanced or complex uh, subjects. The storytelling had evolved a little bit beyond like hey, we're a group of heroes and we're going to go fight the evil god. Um, and the the state-of-the-art of graphics at the time, they were still marshmallows, right? Marshmallow people in Final Fantasy VII, like totally goofy, uh, stylized marshmallow people. And and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of dichotomy, like that the... the sorry, juxtaposition, there we go, between um, the the visual representation that you're seeing and like the, in Final Fantasy VII's case, hey, we're a bunch of eco-terrorists. Um, like those things don't quite always match up. Uh, Skies of Arcadia I, I is comes at a point in time where the, the graphically they can, they've got a bit more visual fidelity 
in, in the game and they, they, they can do some some neat things like everyone's got faces and they are animated so like they have expressions that go along with their dialogue that that helps to to, to make them a little bit more lifelike but it, it's still not really trying for that realistic visual like they're still they're still kind of marshmallowy cartoony people just a little bit less so than final fantasy 7 it's it, it it's like an era that i mean this is part of why i love the dreamcast it's like an, an era that i really loved with with games where um we'd gotten past the very earliest uh growing pains of 3d like i think playstation and saturn 3d still kind of looks fairly primitive um but it, but we also weren't in the like let's have a chase for hyper realistic high visual fidelity triple a kind of production values that we have right now like ratchet and clank rift apart I've, I've always loved the ratchet and clank series and i played that a little bit over the last year and it was just every time i go back to it it's so visually dense there is so much going on at screen at any given time and maybe i'm just very old um but i i find it almost <laughs> overwhelming how much detail there is in everything that kind of like says hey you know what look at this look at this look at this look at this um and i i sort of value in some of these old games that they couldn't do that and that they had to have much more uh stripped down and uncluttered spaces for you to for you to go through um with with skies of arcadia though like it still had some issues and and one of the original things in the original reviews that everyone hated was like the random battle encounters they happen way too frequently there are some there are some parts of the game that are seemingly designed around them to be as miserable as possible um like you're i don't think i mentioned this it, it the game's about sky pirates and there's this one section fairly early on where you're sailing through the skies and there's like a you have to go through this one channel and there's a headwind and you make progress agonizingly slowly it is a very long channel and you have like three seconds between battles to make progress before the next battle comes and it's just awful it is awful <laughs> but because i'm playing it 20 years later on an emulator the g cloud um I can just fast forward the the emulation and it makes the battles and all that stuff so much easier. And then there's save states. So if I have to go and do something, you know, I just save state and I'll come back to it later. I don't have to like keep going for another 45 minutes until I get to the next save point. And 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 that just my my year on and off with Skies of Arcadia and playing through it. I'm somewhat into the second disc now i think the ending is around the corner i'm just not i need to get back to it um but in playing through it like this i've i've really come around on that microsoft strategy again not just because it's the g cloud but because you know it's playing these old games with save states with fast forward options with things that kind of just take my my pain points with the original game and remove them yeah how many how many old super nintendo games have i played where they just get 
ridiculously hard to the point where it's like not fun at all. And I've played through them with save states or cheats enabled, things like that. And, and I have enjoyed the heck out of them. Um, like on the Nintendo, Nintendo Switch Online subscription service thing, Castlevania Bloodlines and Contra Hardcore on the Genesis service are fantastic games. I, you could not pay me enough to play through them on the original hardware with a cartridge without cheats of any kind. It would be a miserable, miserable yeah. experience. But if you give me save states so that I can save scum and cheese my way through it, oh my gosh, those games are fantastic. There's, it's sort of that content tourism kind of model where like they did some amazing stuff on on the Genesis hardware, like the things that I never thought could have been done on a Genesis and you play through it and it's just like, wow, that's really cool. That's really impressive. There was a 0% chance I would ever see this if I could not just blatantly shamelessly cheat my way through it. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. so it's, a, yeah. it's my year has basically been defined by gaming that, that meets me where I am and the needs that I have as a, you know, 40 something year old uh decrepit <laughs> without a lot of free time and declining reflexes and skills and probably my <clears throat> eyesight's going blurry and who knows what else but <laughs> those games will conform to my needs instead of when i was growing up and you know silver surfer on the nes was like no you are going to dedicate your life to this game if you want to see any of it it is going to be miserable. I'm going to punish you every single day. But you will only get like one game a year on your birthday or Christmas or something. So you are going to play the heck out of it regardless. Like that is that has been a complete like uh, a flip in the game in the game audience relationship mm. from when I was a kid as to who is having to contort and punish themselves in order to meet the needs of the other. <laughs> And it's it's a good thing, like I, I'm, I'm there's still room for for games that that are, you know, we're crafting an experience and it might not always be fun, but this is the way we're going to do it. And I think Elden Ring um, qualifies as as that to some extent, um, and that can be great. But in general, I I don't think that's always necessary, and I think it's it's a really positive development. In, in games, how much developers and hardware makers have have realized the value in you know meeting people where they are. Yeah, I'll stop you talking make... now. <laughs> I was going to say you make a, a a compelling point with that because it's, and I guess not just for like going back and playing like twenty twenty five year old games that are super super solid and you want a more accessible route, but something that I played a lot of this year was uh, Power Wash Simulator. Which was super, super fun. I've, I've put so many hours into it. But the thing that prompted me to even look at it at all was I just couldn't sleep one night. And I wanted to, to test out the touch controls through uh, the Game Pass app. So I was scrolling through that and I downloaded Power Wash because I was like, that seems like a thing where you only had to press two buttons. And I ended up playing like like two hours of, of Power Wash Sim just on my phone using the touchscreen controls. Um, and it was it was really good, but that was a, just a case of like picking up my phone and being able to stream a game and play it immediately because it was there kind of thing. And I think that's 
really valuable in just like getting people into playing anything because there's so many barriers otherwise that make any sense it's yeah it's 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 such a hurdle (laughs) to get someone to actually try something yeah like i i will sit there and i will ask my brother for music recommendations because he knows a a lot more stuff than i do and he knows kind of what i like and he'll send me spotify links Mm -hmm. where i can preview the songs i don't i don't click on them most of the time like I, I literally asked for this and he's like sure i did the work to find you a link here you go and then i'm just like oh. <laughs> yeah anything I... that you can do to like reduce that <laughs> that hurdle to because people will will not do stuff for the most trifling and trivial of reasons yeah <laughs> I am we, that are, we are an embarrassing species <laughs> Um, but like yeah i agree sorry i was just i was just i wasn't gonna say anything i was just like truly feeling the the attack of the amount of people that have gone out of their way to send me cool things that they know i like based on my historical interests for me to go i'll get to that and then years pass it just really hit something (laughs) deep within me you go ahead Yeah, I just wanted to go back to also like I agreeing with with you both, but uh, particularly about like how Nintendo Switch Online has opened a whole world of possibilities for like all the Nintendo games. Because like one of my highlights of the year as well was uh, replaying the original Paper Mario, and when I started playing it, I was like, I'm gonna play it the real way and only save the game when I have a save point. Like that's just a stupid way to think <laughs> because there's a reason why <laughs> it's good that those uh, that this option to save at any point is there. It's because otherwise you end up replaying like entire segments and you just hate yourself. Um, so don't do it, kids. And uh, I actually adored it. And I mean, I had I had played Paper Mario in the past, but not in decades. And it's just so good and it holds up so well and it's so funny and it's just really, really like the entire Paper Mario franchise is, is like gold anyway but uh, being able to play it this way and being able to save whenever I wanted to save and just jump back in whenever I wanted to with the click of a button without having to be like oh my god I need to replay this entire thing is just it was just great I just love that it exists and I was one of the people I mean I was gonna say that I'm one of the people who wasn't super convinced by Nintendo Switch Online at first because I was like doesn't feel like there's going to be much to it. But now I'm like 100% sold on it and I've been using it like super, super regularly and it's just perfect to go back to all the games really. Nice. Nice. If it wasn't for the save states with Nintendo Online, I don't think I would have gotten through um, the original Sin and Punishment because I don't know... uh, I don't know if it's the just the way it translated over with the the motion controls or whatever it is, it's just not as responsive or one-to-one as it should be or whatever the case is. If not for the safety, I would have not gotten through that. Mm. <laughs> it got to a point where my hands were cramping. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come back tomorrow. <laughs> no shame in that. Yep. Uh, can I add two things that I didn't mention earlier, two games that I've played this year that I wanted to mention? Yes. I'm going to take that as a yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, there are just two indie games that I couldn't go without mentioning, even though they did not release this year, but they were definitely in my top of the year. Uh, The first one is Spiritfarer, which is, I mean, it describes itself as a cozy management game about dying. Um, And I think everyone who has experienced grief should play Spiritfarer. It is like, there's, there's, 
it's very easy for me to feel like quite overwhelmed by emotions while playing video games, but this is like on another level altogether. Uh, when I think about games that make you feel a lot of very strong emotions, I think about stuff like What Remains of Edith Finch, but Spiritfarer like is a whole another thing and it tackles stuff that is so immediately relatable in a very personal way with a cast of characters that is so varied that like there will be someone in this game that will remind you of like a relative or a friend or someone you know and you will come to terms with like deeply personal stuff while playing it and like I can't even explain how incredible this game is and how like true it rings and I know it's a game I will revisit over the years maybe when life becomes tough or whatever and it's just truly excellent and I truly recommend it to literally everyone I meet because it is really incredible and the second one I wanted to mention is Death Door because it's just perfect. It's just perfect. And um, it's it's like it was made for me, which I guess doesn't say anything to anyone who doesn't know me. But it's uh, the perfect mix of Metroidvania, roguelike, and like action-adventure stuff. And it's just so good. And the pacing is incredible. The combat has a fluidity to it that I think only Hades can match. Uh, the music is incredible. The art is top-notch. Writing is witty, funny, super well written. The difficulty is the perfect amount of challenging. For me, the ending was super cool. It's just like from start to finish, uh, absolutely perfect for me. I 100%ed it and it only took me about 20 hours, which I think is a great great length as well. And there's literally nothing bad to say about Death Door. And if you like that type of like Metroidvania roguelite type of thing, I 100% recommend it because it is perfect and runs so well on Switch. That's it, I'm done now. Love that. Death Star is, is so good. I've got it on the Switch and it looks oh, like so good. it looks like such a perfect Switch game. I just have not sat down to play it. So maybe I'll I really play. recommend it. Like if you're if you're looking for like a Christmas game to play like throughout your holidays and stuff, Death Door is perfect because the length is not overwhelming and it's easy to pick up and play as well. Uh and it's, I think you'll love the music. The music is really good. Um anyway, it's really good. I'd do it. I'd like to say that I'll do that, but what I'm actually gonna do over <laughs> Christmas is play 20 to 25 hours of The Witcher 3 and then get to Novigrad and go oh this sucks and then turn it off for the <laughs> that's fourth fair. time that's fair and then that's back valid. to Skyrim <laughs> and back to Skyrim I, yeah. I, I got the platinum trophy for Skyrim so there's like nothing to do now there's there's nothing to achieve wow. there other than just restart the whole game and do it again <laughs> <laughs> so once you're done with that then you're done with Skyrim <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is all we've got time for this week and indeed this year on the GameStrategy.biz podcast. You can find this episode and all previous episodes on the podcasting platform of your choice, and you can find more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Have a great holiday period, and we will see you in 2023.